So we have our Bible reading for this evening, which is from John chapter 13, verse 31 actually to verse 6 of chapter 14, or even verse 7, I think we'll squeeze an extra one in. Um, So it's page 1082 in the Church Bibles. Judas has just uh, left as the uh, disciples have been gathered together for the Last Supper. Judas has gone out and it was night. And so we read in John 13:31, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the cock crows you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. May God bless his word to us. Yes, thank you. Searching questions. That's the heading that we have from John chapter 13. And we're just going to follow through progressively uh, the reading that we had just now. There are all sorts of ways to teach. One of the ways that you find, and it's still in Jewish and rabbinic tradition to um, teach by way of asking a question and answering the question with another question. Now, it can get you into trouble, but it is a way of teasing out why somebody is asking in the first place. And we have some questions here, and I want us to, to look at this. So, asking a question... And getting a reply with another question 
was the way that Jesus often taught and was the backdrop to many of his parables. And I want you to look at one because uh, this is an introduction, if you like, to the sermon itself. It's the most famous of Jesus' parables, that of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Not so much interested in the parable itself, but how it came about and the method of teaching. That's the main purpose of using this. So there you are. We've... Uh, we've, I put this as a suggestion to you and in uh, Luke chapter 10 and in verse uh, 25 it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan but what's the context of it? On one occasion, verse 25 an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question Jesus answers with a question What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Then he illustrates and we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And how does it end? You come to verse 36 where Jesus poses the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And you see what Jesus has done in that method. And we'll get a little hint of this Uh, in the course of this um, sermon tonight. Now, in in parts of Ireland, uh, rural Ireland particularly, they have a tradition of doing this. And I heard of uh, somebody who found this sort of thing frustrating. If you ask somebody a question, they'd always answer with another question you didn't seem to get anywhere. Uh, That, as it seemed to the outsider of the culture. And one person got really quite frustrated about this and resolved to put a barn door question, black or white, to somebody by saying, is this the post office? Now, yes or no? The reply, would it be stamps you're looking for? You see what I mean? There are traditions like that that have that tendency to... Uh, answer a question with another question. We tend to do it. Let's use a couple of examples. Somebody said to you, uh, what time is it? Someone might say to you, why, where are you going? Or, is that your car? Why, what do you think about it? Or, Did you paint that picture? Or, is that a new coat? And you would reply, do you like it? It's that type of thing that asking a question and answering one is this way of of relating. It's part of being human. And without wanting to sanitize the discussion here in the upper room, 
It's this interface, this discussion, question and answer, which is, which is an integral part of what we are reading tonight. So as we come now to John chapter 13 and chapter 33, and you will see that with the backdrop to it in verse 30, Jesus is about to betray Judas is about to betray Jesus. You have it there in verse 30, and there's that poignant phrase, it's the dark night of the soul, as far as uh, Judas um, is concerned. He's going out into the night, and he will betray Jesus with a kiss. And then in verse 31, you have this uh, shadow, real for Jesus, not for the disciples, of the cross. It's, the cross is imminent. It's pressing in upon Jesus. And he says, now is the Son glorified. What's he referring to? Well, the glory of the crucifixion. A strange term to use indeed, but Jesus uses it as he sees his purpose. The disciples didn't at that time. And so, in verse 31, when he was gone, Jesus said, and that now becomes the, 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 the scales tipped the other way. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Yes, at the point of no return, he's going to the cross. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And then, in verse 36, the disciples are in trouble. They, they are deeply troubled about all of this. Uh, almost... You, you sense that they've been with Jesus all this time and is this what it's about? They are troubled. And as they interface, this comes out in the way that Jesus speaks to them and speaks to us. And of course, as often is the way, there are people who think things and there are people who say things. And Peter, as we know, is impetuous and it's a characteristic of him. He is the one who is the spokesperson and outspoken very often. And so here we pick up the, the tread. So you've got this now. And in verse 36 to 38, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? What is this about? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And what we have here in, in, in this passage, in particularly chapter 13 through to the, the reading that we have, is just, and uh, I think this is the crucial thing. We have, and if you read it carefully, um, four questions from troubled hearts. And they are troubled. If you like, they're in big trouble. Four questions from troubled hearts. And interestingly, as you read these verses, read it for yourself, it's, is four answers for troubled hearts. Without wanting to orchestrate the, the reading, that's what you have. Read it for yourself and you'll find that. We could apply that to ourselves. In our lives, often, we're in trouble. In the sense, we can't make sense of what's going on. They may well have thought, look, there are many things we don't understand, but surely nothing good can come out of this. Nothing good. And often, we, we are in situations like that. 
questions from troubled hearts, the answers for troubled hearts. And so with that context, if you like, as this situation comes to us, let's try to get into this very quickly. In verse 36, there's a sense of bewilderment. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? Clearly he is bewildered by this. And then if you read on in verse, the next verse, 37, you will see that Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? What is this about? Why can't I follow you now? There's a sense of uncertainty. And typical of many true followers of Jesus Christ, the impending failure of followers. Don't give people a hard time when they fail. Haven't you? And here, here he is. He says, verse 37, I will lay down my life for you. Really, says Jesus. Jesus answered him, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. That's not incredible. It really is quite astonishing, isn't it? So you have this troubled hearts, bewilderment, uncertainty, and failure. It's the stuff of true discipleship. It is. But now what Jesus does is to broaden his reply, to include Peter, of course, but to include his disciples, all eleven, and I suspect to, to include us here tonight, to troubled hearts. Now, I think sometimes we might have a difficulty about what I'm going to say. You remember years ago, well, some of us will, uh, when people used to say, and it was a sort of um, a type of put down to a fellow believer, and it was this phrase, I haven't heard it for years and years. Um, some people were so, so heavenly minded, they know earthly use. It was really implied that they are super spiritual. If you want them to do anything, then forget it. And it was an implied criticism. And I think as a reaction to that, we've almost gone the other way now. When did you last hear that? Or when did you last think about that? That here is somebody who is focused on, on eternity and somehow is not so anxious about all the things that occupy our time and our life and our energy. A healthy detachment, if you like, from the things of this world. Well, the reason I say that is to, to these troubled hearts, what does Jesus do but to point them to heaven? Now, he had his feet on the ground for sure. And because some Christians have been a bad role model of what it means to be spiritual, we shouldn't overreact to it. Yes, we have physical needs. Yes, we are often in emotional turmoil, of course. Yes, we have psychological pressures. But we also have spiritual needs. And we're not here forever. We are passing. We are pilgrim people. And our destiny is heaven. And we often forget that. Often doing good things. But forget the greater thing. 
And in the light of that, all I want to do now then is to, to take my cue from the Lord Jesus to say to us, whatever troubles we face in our homes or at work or the uncertainty or ill health and whatever it is, that we need a fresh perspective of heaven and bring that into wherever we are at any given time. And so just three things that come out then with that long introduction is this. Three quick comments. The first is this. Heaven is a real place. A real place. So, verse 14, Jesus' reply comforts his disciples then and now. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms. Heaven is a real place. It's not vague. It's not ephemeral. It's real. It's tangible. And Jesus says this. My Father's house. My Father's house. Now that's, we can understand that. My Father's house. Or the, I like the authorised version. And this year we're celebrating 400 years of it. Many mansions. It's more flowery language, isn't it? But whatever term that is used, you've got this idea of, of, of plenty of space. My father's house. Now, the thing is, though, if you were, and this would be a good exercise, check me out on this, from chapters 13 to 17, 52 times Jesus makes reference to God as Father, my Father, your Father. So when he speaks about heaven, the thing that he has in mind is something that is profoundly relational. Profoundly relational. Essentially then what Jesus is saying here is this. Your future is my future. Your Father is my Father. We are in this together, this place, heaven. Now, don't miss the point then. The way we approach our problems, and we have them, some more than others currently, all these emotions and troubles, troubled hearts, how often, how often would we have an eternal perspective. If you are facing a, a, a real difficulty and you were to think to yourself, just from this is the point, here's my difficulty. If I put that now in the context of heaven that is more real than this place because I'm temporary, I'm on a journey, then maybe we wouldn't quarrel so much Maybe we wouldn't get stuck too often. Maybe we wouldn't be so preoccupied with lesser things, I think. So, verse 2 is really saying, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room in my place. Come round. You have my word. Would I have told you? Heaven is a real place. Secondly, Heaven is a prepared place. If he keeps talking about his father like this, 
and we're in it together, then you see, stay on in verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it, if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I know these are familiar words, often used in a funeral service. It's a bit late if you are at the crematorium and all your life you've given no thought to the Lord Jesus. That the whole of life as we trust him is preparing a place. Now how can we illustrate this? Two weeks ago, as you know, we were at the wedding in Scotland. Weddings are great occasions and uh, if you're a guest, you're invited to the reception and at the reception there are tables. There was about 120 guests with Stuart and Lorna and their daughter Emily. And uh, when you get to the reception, there is a, a big board and there are perhaps about uh, oh, 12 tables and you, you are table 6. And so you have to find table 6 and then you have to find your name. And then you go to the table and there's your name. And you say, that's my place. It's my place. My name's there. It's reserved. I feel privileged and honoured beyond words to be here, but it's my place. Or, when you take a, a service at the crematorium, the clergy has the only time that they give you any um, prominence. It's reserved for the clergy. And where you're taking a service, your name is there. And I often think, one day, well, if I am cremated, I'm not sure. I was thinking whether, I think I'd prefer burial, actually, but I have a discussion about that, but not now. But, <laughs> but one day, instead of me, my name being there to take it, my name could be there that somebody else could take it. My name. Your name. And you prepare that. You shouldn't be filled with a sense of despair. Or let's use the final illustration, if you like. I've had the privilege twice of going to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. You'd want me to bring that up. And each time, I've been able to go through the gates and find a seat because it's my ticket and it's my seat for that game. It's mine. And no one else can sit there. It's mine. Now, Peter's bewildered about all this. And you can tell that he's confused and uncertain. I'm going to come with you now and so on. But he got the message. Just turn to 1 Peter and look at the way he wrote. And this is the point, really. Turn to 1 Peter. Look at the way that he wrote years later to the church that was going through a cauldron of persecution. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Now then, it, as far as we know, if the, if the commentators and the historians are right, Nero is the emperor, he's mad, he's neurotic, he's obsessive, he's having it out on the Christians, a bit like some of the, the Christians in Iraq tonight who are being hounded and persecuted. You say, what do you do? He does now what Jesus did. Points them to heaven. He's not super spiritual. He himself, if we understand, was to be crucified and asked upside down, for I'm not worthy even to follow in the way the Lord was crucified. 
when he finally got the message of this preparation. But in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here it is. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And there it is, kept. Or again, as the King James says, looking at it again, reserved. There's a reservation in heaven for you. And he got the message, didn't he? Didn't get it at first. You may not get it at first. I hope you get it now. It's reserved for you. It's a prepared place. Uh, as you know, my, my father died the, in September this, of this last year. And uh, he'd been in and out of hospital and so on. And uh, said to me on one occasion, uh, I want to go home. And I said, yes, but we have to get all the things ready for you. And uh, extra support. No. Home to glory, he said. I'm ready to go. Home. I wonder, yes, he was old. But wherever we're at, at any given time, we shouldn't be sort of people say, well, that's way up in the distance. We cope well with our problems when we are, have eternity impinging upon us, not in a depressive sense. It's a prepared place. And finally, heaven is a meeting place. Meeting place. A lot of unhelpful things have been said about heaven. So Jesus says in verse 3, And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas comes in, in that bewilderment that we were talking about earlier on. Heaven is a meeting place. How, how impoverished our lives would be without people whom we know, who know us, whom we love, who love us. Heaven is a meeting place, a place of meeting. It's a rendezvous, a coming together of people. And the real Jesus... is there now. From heaven you came. Yes, we sung it this morning. Helpless babe, entered our world. Your glory, veiled. Veiled it was. But where is he now? He's returned. The sovereign king who reigns on high. The real question is not what will it be like. That's okay. But who will be there? Who will be there? Who will be there? Jesus. And it's relational. And you can say, he's my saviour. He is my saviour. And he's the only person ever who could know everything about me and really love me. And he's my Lord. And one day I'll meet him. One day I'll meet him. And the challenge for us is, therefore, that we should be a bit more heavenly minded. If you read C.S. Lewis, he made an observation from church history, that, and it was this, that the people who did more for this world in, 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 in the social strata and involvement were the people who had their minds most upon the next world. Some of the great reformers, you'll remember, I'm sure, that wonderful film, Amazing Grace, William Wilberforce, who was... Uh, Christian and uh, 
a reformer and his burning passion in life, all-consuming motivation was the abolition of child slavery in this country. And on one occasion, a woman in the church, wasn't particularly well-educated, asked him, William, how is your son? Well, he's a great parliamentarian, he's an aristocrat. And he said to her, you know, I'm so busy, I've forgotten I have a son. At least he knew it and faced it. And maybe we need people who are more heavenly minded like that. The challenge for us is to be so heavenly minded that we bring change now, but we're ready for the glory of heaven. Just one final comment as we come to the Lord's table. In verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. Couldn't follow now. What does he mean by that? Well, of course, Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. It was something that Jesus had to do for him. For him. And it is something he has to do for you. Now. You will follow me later. It's the cross and its glory and its shame and its tragedy and its triumph all woven together. And so, the writer to the Hebrew believers who are struggling to go back to their traditions, the writer says this, and with this I close, and in the light of everything that's been said, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those bewildered disciples, yes, they're part of that, and us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Then, this is it, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And there are times when we need to do that. Stay more focused on heaven. I go to prepare, the implication is, a place for you. For you. For you. Personally. And the best thing that we can do is to live out our lives in the confidence that with all of our troubled hearts, the Lord Jesus not only has the answer, but has the remedy to heal troubled hearts as well. 